You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, Merry Christmas to you and welcome. We're glad that you're here. You know, nothing says tis the season, nothing says tis the season, like your favorite Hallmark Christmas movie marathon. And all the men in the room said amen. Now, if you've never watched a Hallmark Christmas movie, and God knows in my 25 years of marriage, I've watched one or two, here are the ingredients to a great Hallmark Christmas movie. You've got to have a small town. You've got to have lots of Christmas decorations followed with lots of snow. You've got to have PG levels of romance, a little romantic flirtation in there. And then you're essentially going to have an overworked woman especially at the holiday season, and she encounters this loving, charming, handsome, hunky Christmas tree farmer. It is wildly popular. In fact, on average, 70 million people will watch Hallmark Christmas movies within a given year. In fact, Kate of New Jersey, 30 years of age, she told her husband that she wants to have their future vacations to be like a Hallmark-themed vacation. In fact, her husband did exactly that. He delivered on the news. Now, why do we like, or why do some like, a Hallmark Christmas movie? Now, we all know a man's gonna say at some point, I wonder how this movie's gonna end. That's just just a given. (laughs) So how, why is it that we love these movies so much? Why are they so popular? And the essence of it, it ends with a very happy ending. What does it make to have, at its essence, Christmas? Does it have romance and snow? Is that the essence of Christmas? In this little series, we're looking at the characters of Christmas, the major and the minor characters, because in order to experience the first Christmas, the richness of the holiday, all we need to do is see the experience of the Christmas, the first Christmas, in the faces of the characters that we see. Now, certainly there's major characters, men like Joseph, women like Mary, and the star of Christmas is Jesus. But then there's others. And today we're going to look at the shepherds. Look with me, both in mind and heart, to consider the shepherds. Watch their faces they experience the first Christmas as narrated in Luke chapter 2. Because interwoven in this story is why we find just so much joy in Christmas. Look with me first, that God reaches out. God reaches out. Verse 10. If you didn't bring a copy of God's Word, if you're in the room, page 1018, that black book in front of you, just go ahead and grab it. The Word of God says, and the angel said to them, who's them? The shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Can you not hear, if you're a certain generation, Linus saying this, can you not hear that? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a, say it, Savior. Say it like you're awake. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now the Messiah is here, the long-anticipated, long-expected Messiah is here, and heaven cannot wait to get out the news. Cannot wait to get out the news. The Savior of the world was born, and who are going to be the very first people to know? By the way, for those of you who've had a baby, moms and dads, who are the first people you told? Who were the very first people that you called, or who were the people in the waiting room? Well, it would be your moms and your dads. It would be the soon-to-be grandparents or now grandparents. 
Isn't it interesting that in Luke chapter 2, the first people to know is not Mary's parents, it's not Joseph's parents, it's these shepherds. Brand new parents almost always will tell their parents. Even in a day and time when we love social media and we have no filter, we share everything on social media, it's almost as if, even at that point, that we'll wait before we press send in order to tell our family. What do we make of the fact that the shepherds are the first people to know of Jesus' birth? We see a clue that's going to surprise us. Here in the beginning of Jesus' life, not his existence, he's existed since before the time and creation, but the first part of his life, we see something that surprises us. And what is that? Here's our surprise. The people who will be included in his family will surprise us. They will shock us. The people who are going to be included in the family of Jesus are going to be surprising. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 8 again. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, if you're in Bethlehem, if you take the tour there, some of you have been there with me, there are two places you'll go. You'll go to the church of the nativity, the reported site of the birth of Christ, or you'll be in this field. It was about 18 months ago or a little more than that that some of us were singing Christmas carols in this very field. Again, take notice that these men who were shepherding that night, probably taking tours in order, taking uh, turns, if I will, to, to make sure the sheep were protected against any predators. In the middle of the night, there's this incredible announcement. And the, the son of God's first announcement is not to preachers, it's not to politicians, it's not to those who have white-collar jobs, it's to those who are either blue-collar or no-collar. It wasn't in this that God sent his announcement to those who were in the Oval Office. He first sent his announcement to those who absolutely had no office. If these are guys that are alive today, if this wasn't a field in Bethlehem, but if this was a ranch in Texas, these are guys that are working out of a crusty, smelly old Ford pickup truck. I mean, these are people who are way on the outside. You know, when you think about shepherds, if you have any Bible knowledge in you, you begin to think about the first shepherd, Abel. The Bible says the first occupation, one of the first occupations after farming was shepherding. And shepherding has a, a rich history. David was a shepherd. Abraham did some, some shepherding his day. Then certainly God himself is pictured as a what? Shepherd. Including this, Jesus, the baby here, grows up and he calls himself the good shepherd. But watch carefully. While the Bible always, always says shepherding is an is a honorable profession, by the time Jesus' birth, when you move into the time of his day and you begin to research and search out all the pieces of what the people thought of shepherding, it was not a noble profession. Did you know that according to the the Jewish legal scholars of the day, the shepherds were not permitted to give court testimony. Now, how bad do you have to be to have your whole profession just blocked? You can't give any testimony in court because that's how bad they think of you. You weren't allowed to purchase anything from shepherds because if you purchase something from a shepherd, you should presume automatically that it's stolen. Now, these men, around the time of Jesus' birth, they might have been devoted men, but they were a despised class. Jesus reached out, even in his birth, 
to make sure the people who had no power and no privilege were the very first to get the announcement of Jesus' birth. It's incredible. Let me show you four features right here in Luke chapter 2. The first of which I want you to notice there in verse 10. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, look at this first, the glory of the Lord showed around them. Do you realize the impact of that? Really, one of the last times we've seen the glory of the Lord, if you trace it out in Scripture, the glory always showed up at the tabernacle or the temple. Solomon's temple, do you remember that? Incredible display of the glory of God. Glory of God doesn't appear in a farm, doesn't appear in some field someplace. But here it is, verse 10, God has taken his glory and he's gone mobile with it. Like a food truck extending the presence of a restaurant in a place, in a locale where the restaurant would never be. This is an incredibly rare thing. You know, Haley's Comet comes by about once every 75 years, I discovered. And even more rare is the glory of God. If you stop to think about it by biblical records, only a few thousand people at most may have seen the Shekinah glory of God. This is an incredibly rare thing. Makes Haley's Comet with the regularity of a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday. And yet, these shepherds were graced to be able to see this. Notice this, secondly, the Bible says in verse 10, the glory was around them. It wasn't just in front of them. It wasn't behind them. In fact, God's glory, incredible display of light was all around them. Today, if you go see a movie, it's very different that you have those speakers that appear from every place, certain action movies, right? Us men, when we get to pick the movie, no more Hallmark movies, an action movie, right? And when that action movie, you hear bullets coming from behind you and all other directions in a great movie theater. It's that surround sound. This is exactly what's happening here. God has taken his glory and it's surrounding these shepherds. Instead of just showing his glory to religious insiders, to going to preachers and Pharisees, God says, no, no, no. At the very beginning of my son's life, we're going to redefine everything. We're going to redefine everything. And the despised class, the powerless class, those who are on the outside are going to be on the inside. I'm going to show my glory to a group of people that are despised, that are outcast. I want you to notice the third piece here in Luke chapter 2. While the first two have been seen, this one is heard. Before they see the angels, the shepherds hear. Look again in verse 10. Fear not, the angel says. Fear not, for behold, I bring you great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. Now, you may have had the privilege of watching a rocket lift off at NASA or the shuttle. You may have had the privilege of some in our history of even watching a nuclear bomb go off in a desert somewhere in order to see it practice before we dropped it in foreign cities. But nothing, not even those two will prepare you for the angelic presence and the beautiful sounds of these angels. In fact, notice the fourth. At first, one angel shows up, just one. But somewhere in the transition of Luke chapter 2, not only is one showing up, but the Bible says this. Look at verse 10 again, or actually verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly host. That little word host can equally be translated army. 
army. This is an angelic army. The first angel shows up, sort of a precursor, a shadowing of things to come. That would have brought great fear to see but one angel. Rid your mind of the Baptist bookstore. Rid your mind of the stuff that you've seen in Christian stores, little cute cherubs. In fact, the very first words of the angels were purposeful, intentional. Fear not, even though I'm here, fear not. And then no sooner had one showed up, but then an army. How many was that? Was it a praise team? Was it six of them? Was it a choir filling a loft? Or was it many more than that? In fact, what came out of their voices that night would have been the most beautiful thing those shepherds would have ever heard. It was an army of angels communicating, in verse 13, the good news of great joy. They would say, sing this song in verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So what does this mean? How does this lift our spirits? How does it do anything for us? So what, we might ask. The so what of this is that at the beginning of Jesus' life, not the beginning of his existence, but the beginning of his life, we begin to see that even, even here, he's redefining family. And I don't mean the kind of redefining that we're seeing today of an LBGTQ kind of silliness. No, I'm talking about a redefining of family. Jesus is telling us that the kind of people that we anticipate being in his family, it's going to be much larger. We're going to be surprised at who's included. We see it in verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. He is going to go out of his way in order to include people that we wouldn't expect. In fact, in verse 14, those words that we can hear, Linus saying from the 1970s and 1980s, we can hear him say, the old King James, the old authorized version, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. But the problem with that translation is that almost all, all experts agree. It's not a faithful translation of the Greek text. So therefore, what we see in front of us in verse 14, if you're reading a more modern version, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's not that the translation is more modern, it's that the translation is more accurate, more ancient. What does this mean? Well, not only is he redefining family, but he's bringing to us what Wesley told us to sing. Remember, hark the herald angels sing? What was those words? Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners, what? Reconciled. It is a powerful, intentional statement. The redefining of the family is that God is coming. And those who are on the outside can now be on the inside. And it's by embracing the Son. See, the angels and Wesley who taught us to sing that hymn, that carol that even floats throughout the secular world today, is teaching us that God has come purposefully. The reason Christ is here, he put it so beautifully, is the people who get to see the Son are the people who grasp God's grace. God and sinners reconciled. God is reaching out. That's the message of Christmas. God came a long way to reach out. He is reaching way, way out. You see it with the shepherds. You see it with the wise men. 
these Persian, possibly Persian, Iranians, God puts in their field of view a constellation, a star, to bring them into the presence of a son. God does not wish for any to perish. He loves to reach out and grab, pull people in so they can see the essence of Christmas. He'll use a constellation in order to bring the Persians. He'll use the angels to tell the shepherds. The first people who should have known of the birth of Jesus, perhaps if he were conventional, would have been the Mary's parents and Joseph's parents, but not so. God is redefining family, even so much that we see in the later life of Jesus. Do you remember this? Jesus, your family is here. Jesus says in reply, he says, this is my family, those who do the word of God. He is redefining family. And the ones that we think will accept him will reject him, and the ones we think will reject him will accept him. Over in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John puts it this way. He came, look at these words, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, sons of God, who were born not of blood. Look at the family. It's not blood-related. It's not cousins and sisters and brothers. Nor was it by the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. He is redefining family. When he comes to the shepherds, he's giving a signal. It's never been about blood. It's never been about race. It's about putting your son, putting your faith in the Son of God. God and sinners reconciled. Wesley would teach us to sing. When Jesus arrived, nobodies were turned into somebody. He would reach down and pull them up. And it's your faith that puts you in the family of God. You know the early Christians, what they called one another? Sister, brother. Blood relations become less important in this forever spiritual family becomes the essence of it. This is what's in front of us here. A new spiritual family is forming. God is already reaching out, scooping them in, using the shepherd's hook, if you will. Yes, the pun was intended to draw them into his family by faith. He is reaching out. Secondly, he'll send the shepherds out. God not only reaches out, but he'll now send the shepherds out. Look back at verse 15 and 16. The Bible says this way. Here's the essence of Christmas. When the angels went away from them, the shepherds said to one another, we've got to go to Bethlehem. I could just hear them say, we've got to go to Bethlehem and see the thing that's happened which the Lord has made known to us I love the next language in verse 15. And they went with haste. They got out of there in a hurry. They didn't drag their feet. They didn't look for their car keys. They didn't say to one another, you forgot your coat. We've got to circle back. You better tell your family. No, they got out of there with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. I love those words. And they went with haste. I love the fact that these shepherds dropped everything to go see a baby. You realize how, how uncommon that is? You realize the people, don't you, even to this day, who goes to see babies? Those of you who are worshiping at home, it's always the women who are dragging the men to go see a baby, right? We've got to go see the baby. Every man worth his salt thinks, what do I go see a baby for? They all look the same. I'll see the baby when it comes in public. But you've got to go see the baby. It's so unusual that men would drop everything to go see this baby. And it... It tells us even to this day the impact 
the magnificence, the significance of this baby. Now, what I love about this is this piece. Throughout this, what you have is, of course, the first record we read is the Gospel of Luke, and Matthew tells us about those first Christmas. But if we want to dig in and understand the context, we go back into the Jewish law, the Mishnah, or what is known as the Babylonian Talmud. And what we find there with the Mishnah is this. It's really, it's interesting. The Mishnah says that every, every sheep within a certain context, it's picture a circle right around the temple in Jerusalem, every sheep within a certain radius of mile would have been designated as a sacrificial sheep. And Bethlehem, where these shepherds were, were in that geographic circle, that radius, if you will. Meaning that almost every one of the sheep raised within this geographic location would have not been destined for wool or for some other product, but almost all of them would have made their way to the temple for a sacrifice. You realize, don't you, what's happening here? It's a powerful piece. The first people outside of Mary and Joseph who touch and handle the baby are those who are used to caring for sheep. They would know what it's like to care for sheep and sheep that would grow up to be sacrificed to the temple. Now, where does this come from? You see, centuries before Jesus Christ makes his entrance, if you remember the story of Moses in Egypt, what would be celebrated about the time of his death was known as Passover. Our Jewish friends are celebrating Hanukkah right now, which is a festival of lights, but Passover. Passover grows out of that time. Do you remember this? A time of slavery, a time of Egyptian slavery. And God was having a showdown with Pharaoh. And the records show that Pharaoh wasn't listening. His heart was hardened. And so God says to Moses, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill every firstborn, every firstborn of livestock, every firstborn even of humans. This will be the decisive blow so that Pharaoh will let my people go. Now, why the firstborn? Because in ancient patriarchal society, all the hopes, all the family's hopes were pinned on the firstborn. The firstborn male would have received the lion's share, if not all the inheritance. He would have been the keeper of the profession. What dad was, the son would have been. So when God strikes the firstborn, he's striking at the very heart of the strength of the family. Look what he does, Passover. God says to those families, you've got to put the blood over your doorpost too. If I don't see blood of the doorpost, I'm going to take your firstborn. It's not just a racial thing. I'm not just going to kill Egyptian firstborn. I'll kill your firstborn too. Don't forget this. Don't forget this as if God is saying, you're in debt to me. Your sin is a debt, and your sinners too. When the angel of death, an angel of death passes over. I remember as a kid reading that, just being wowed by that. The angel of death passes over. In the only way, Israelis, the only way, Hebrews, that your firstborn will live is if you sprinkle the blood of the doorpost. So years go by. At this time of Jesus' birth and of course, alongside of him is his cousin, the famous John the Baptist. Years go by, and John the Baptist, one of the first times he sees Jesus, recorded in John chapter 1, the Bible says this. The next day, John says this. He saw Jesus coming toward him. What does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
It was as if John, the cousin of Jesus, even in the narrative of the birth, the two mothers are mirrored alongside Elizabeth and Mary, as if John was putting it together. He said, as if it were, it's not about the little sheep that were sacrificed. It's not about all those little sheep that we took to the temple as families. We slit their throat and watched the blood pour out. Even as infants, they would have seen that. We can be sure of this, John says, all those were down payments, but really the payment is this one, the Lamb of God. Isn't it fascinating, the irony of it? Those who, by the profession, handled sheep, cared for sheep, touched sheep, and likely touched and cared for sheep that would be sacrificed were the first people to get the birth announcement. And they rushed to Bethlehem. Can you see them holding the child? Surely they weren't to get all that was happening there. But God is tipping his hand. He's telling us even in his son's birth that he's redefining family. He's reaching out to those in the nooks and the crannies, and he's bringing them in. Now watch carefully and watch as those shepherds come into Bethlehem. And what will they see? When they arrive, they'll see no flaming sword that is an obstacle for anyone else to come in. There's no flaming sword there. When they arrive, there are not those of rank and title only. The common men could have walked into that manger and seen him. Nor will they find a ticket of admission is needed. They'll find none of that. Anyone may go in to see the Son of God. And when they looked over in that manger, here's what they found. Those little hands, those little hands would one day reach out and hold the scepter of the universe. Those little arms, well, they grow up and they would wrestle, wrestle with death itself and defeat it. And what would they see? They would see those little feet. Those little feet would one day be the foot that was on the serpent's neck and the foot that would crush the deceiver's head. And they would look down, those shepherds would, and they would look and they would see a little tongue, a tongue who had yet to articulate a word, but a tongue that would one day pour forth such a stream of eloquence that every man and every woman, both common and educated, would say, there is no one who spoke like this man. This tongue had yet to speak a word, but it will one day fertilize it would one day fertilize all the home human race. It would put all men's minds in a flame of fire and inspire generations of literature. This is what they see. This is why they came and dropped everything. And one day that tongue, though it would yet to say a word, would pronounce the judgment of every nation, of every human, including you. You know what I love about these shepherds, what they did in the end is what you and I need to do. Christmas is not about the essence of romance or snow or decorations. You may not have a tree, you may not give a gift, but the essence of Christmas is what these shepherds did. They were in awe and they believed. When you strip back all the veneer off Christmas, if you're going to experience the richness of Christmas, you need to put your faith in the Son of God and be in awe of Him. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.